Hi, how's everyone doing today? It's great to see all of you. Uh, you've worked off the chocolate hangover from last night, right? And I hope it was just chocolate, right? Uh, if you're a guest around Journey, maybe for the first time we're delighted to be with you today and hope today is meaningful and lasting for you. We like to do what we call a family update periodically and today happens to be family update day. There's some things kind of like you do in your home, you know, you gather everyone up and like here's what's going on and here's what's cooking. Just two things for you today. First of all, our camp, uh, many of you know that we own 160 acres in the Bridgers on Flathead Pass Road and uh, that was generously given to us a couple of years ago with the intent of us starting a camp conference and retreat center up there. And uh, we uh, didn't think it would be wise to do that by ourselves because it's kind of a big undertaking. So we drew our Mama Church Harvest in with us on the project. And so we're, we're going to sort of work this, the Headwaters Project, Camp Conference and Retreat Center, together. Well, uh, as we pressed in and began to develop that property, you know, at least conceptually, we began to have conversations with our neighbors across the road and uh, found out that they were not happy with the thought of having a large camp conference and retreat center with hundreds of cars and perhaps even thousands eventually of people up there uh, off and on year-round, and it was upsetting to them. And so uh, we began to sense that if we're going to develop that camp in the Bridgers, it's going to have to be with a fight. And so, uh, like we Christians do, we put on our boxing gloves and we just went after them. No. I'm totally, totally kidding. That's sometimes what we do, but it isn't necessarily the right thing, right? So uh, uh, we kind of looked at each other like, okay, it seems like in this instance, uh, the best expression of us loving our neighbors is to sell that property. And about that time, we started to think about that. Well, a guy wheels in and he says, all right, uh, I hear that you have this plight with this land that you can't develop toward the vision that you think God's given you, how about if I buy it from you? And we said, yes, that's exactly what we'd like to do. We had no idea how much it was worth, so we had it appraised, and it appraised at about 850000 bucks or so, and he said, all right, just to make sure that we're all good with this, I'll pay you 900000 for your land uh, that was given to us two years ago. And so we said, well, we're in, we're on. And so uh, that deal will close in a couple of days, early this week. I think that'll happen. And then we won't have a property anymore. And we'll begin then the search for a new parcel. Now, the way the deal is structured is that $850,000 is going to go into the Headwaters Fund. That money will just sit there and earn interest. Uh, as we look for a new parcel where there's no neighbors who'll get crabby if we're going to develop a camp conference and retreat center, you know, like way in the middle of nowhere. We thought up there would be fine, but I guess it isn't far enough. Not in my backyard, right? That whole deal, NIMBY. Um, right, that's right, NIMBY, not in my backyard. Uh, so, and then the other $50,000, so $850,000 goes into the Headwaters Fund. The other $50,000, he said, I'd just like to go to the Journey Church General Fund, so uh, that'll hit this week as well. So you are all aware that we'll, we're now praying. Get around that with us. Pray with us about where that new parcel is and when and quickly would be good because we think God's given us the vision and heart and passion and desire and skill to run a camp conference and retreat center, and we'd kind of like to get about it. So just talk to the Lord about that, if you would. Then there's this, uh, Light It Up Capital Campaign Building Stuff. Uh, two years ago, we did a capital campaign that we called Light, 
A year ago, we did what we called a mini campaign that we called Light Brighter. And because of those two campaigns, there were commitments of, of about $2.4 million. Way to go. Good job. Then just this last fall, and those, by the way, are rolling in, continuing to, uh, people are fulfilling those commitments. And then this last fall, in our most recent capital campaign effort that we called Light It Up! Exclamation Point, uh, one, almost $1.2 million was pledged to that. So way to go, good job, fantastic, praise God. We're really proud of you and proud of what God did in all that. That $1.2 million represents about 144 or so families who are in on that, uh, the Light It Up piece. So 144 new families who are giving toward this capital campaign project. All right, so you take the previous commitments, add it to the new commitments, and you have about 3.5 or so million dollars, almost 3.6 million. Now remember, we tithe 10% right off the top of that. We give it to um, new ministry initiatives and church plants in the region. Uh, we're going to help fund the Helena church plant, Narrate, which is coming this fall. So 10% goes right to that stuff, and then we're allocating a certain percentage of people who, for whom life happens, right? And we're just not able to fulfill those commitments, uncollected funds, we call it. You subtract out $1.2 million for the land that we bought, and we're left with about 1.5, a little over 1.5 for construction of a facility. And uh, I'm here to tell you today that we think that is enough for us to build about 20,000 square feet starting this spring. We think we can break ground this spring, which is cool. Yes, thank you, God. Now, I also need to say that if we're going to break ground this spring, one of the things I'm saying is that we need to be able to occupy that space by August, okay? Like that's, I'm, yeah, mm -hmm, that's exactly right. And as I say that, poor John Oakland, the executive pastor, is sitting here and he is puckering. Like, how in the world are we going to get that done? But I'm convinced that we can pull it off. These are not complex buildings. It's really three different buildings. One that's a Big building kind of like this that'll seat a 1,000 uh, uh, in worship with a big stage and a flat floor, movable chairs and all that stuff. The other building, one of the other buildings would be off to the side of that one big building and it would be a classroom, kids ministry space, classrooms and nurseries and all that stuff for kids ministry. On the other side would be an office building. We rent office space now and it just seems silly to keep doing that. So let's get into our own. And so they're very simple buildings. Um, and we think we can do it in six months. But it's going to take all of us locking arms to pull that off, okay? And it's going to take all of us who are committed to the light campaigns to continue to give generously. Every dollar that we have in cash now is a dollar that we don't have to borrow for construction. So just keep that up, if you would, please. And then it's also going to take a significant amount of volunteer labor right out of here to get that done. We think that we can save a couple to a few hundred thousand dollars by us volunteering and getting out there and rolling up our sleeves and, and helping, pouring in, getting busy on it. So just stay tuned for that. You also need to know that right now the plan of that building, it, it hasn't even been drawn by an architect yet. Our architect and our builder and John have gotten together and it's like on a legal pad right now. So we obviously have some work to do before we can actually go build it. Uh, but we're convinced that it can happen, and let's just talk to the Lord about that and keep that up. If you have questions, 
uh, it would be a good time not to ask it, because uh, that'd be kind of weird. So talk to me or Oakland after the service, and uh, we'd love to answer any questions that you have. Thus concludes the family update portion of our service today. <laughs> now we get to the real stuff. Uh, it's the second of four messages in a series that we call Broken. The truth about relationships, sex, and intimacy. And I just want to say many, many thanks to our resident expert on relationships, sex, and intimacy, Bob Schwan, who so ably launched the series last weekend. Way to go. Uh, I'll preach this weekend. Obviously, that's what I'm about to do. And then next weekend, uh, Bob will be back up. And then uh, Sam Summers, uh, the real, true resident expert on relationships, sex, and intimacy, will wrap up the series uh, in what will certainly be a grand finale, if you will. So there's an eight-year-old girl who goes out to her dad who's working in the yard, and she says, Daddy, what is sex? And the father was quite surprised. Holy cow, my daughter's only eight years old, and she's already asking about this. But uh, as he was working in the yard, he just decided that, well, if she's old enough to ask the question, then she's old enough to deserve the straight answer. So he presses in and he describes in great detail uh, what we affectionately term the birds and the bees conversation. When he finished explaining the birds and the bees, the little girl was just looking at her dad like with her mouth agape, like, oh my word, that was way more than I was hoping to hear. And, and, and the father sort of picks up on this and he said, well, why, why did you ask the question? And the little girl replied, well, mom told me to come out and tell you that dinner would be ready in just a couple of sacks. If we're honest, we'd have to all admit that much of life is marked by empty and broken places, isn't it? Much of life is marked by empty and broken places inside of us. In spite of the glitter and glamour of 21st century American life, beneath our surface facades of happiness and contentment, for so many lay a reservoir of brokenness, discontent, and emptiness, doesn't it? And all of us, despite our ages and wages and races and ethnicities, have to wrestle with this issue of brokenness and of emptiness because, frankly, emptiness is just the norm of our times, isn't it? Life, with all of its commotion and promotion, still leaves us empty. Nike says what to us? And so we do, right? And we're still empty and we're still broken, right? And Burger King says to us what? Have it your way. And we do have it our way. And we're still empty and we're still broken. And we pep and we step and we bling and we ching and we style and we profile. And yet we are still empty. Because there is no escape for any of us from the cold, harsh winter winds of emptiness. You know the stories. You see them around you every single day. Day. Some more high-profile ones exist as well. For example, Heath Ledger. Not long ago, the up-and-coming young actor was found dead in his lower Manhattan apartment. And from us looking in from the outside, it would seem that he had it made, that he had truly discovered the American dream, whatever that is. He had found fame and fortune. And yet this 28-year-old 
who seemed to have it all, the world by the tail, was found face down on the floor of his apartment amongst sleeping pills and antidepressants. Emptiness. Brokenness. Despite the fame and the fortune, it would seem that Heath Ledger was a broken, empty man. Uh, another one. During the 2007-2008 NFL regular season, New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady set the record for the most touchdown passes in a regular season. That paved the way for him winning the MVP award that year. At the age of 30, he had already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that sets him apart as one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. And that's hard for me to say because I'm a Niners fan and I think that Joe Montana and Steve Young are some of the best to ever play the game. Amen. And in 2005, Tom Brady was interviewed by 60 Minutes journalist Steve Croft. And despite the fame and career accomplishments he had achieved already, Brady told Croft that it felt like something was still lacking in his life. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what life is all about. I reach my goal, my dream, my life. Me, he says, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. And Croft pressed in on Brady as to what he thought the right answer was. And Brady added, what's the answer? Shrugged his shoulders. I wish I knew. He said, I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are lots of other parts about me that I'm still trying to find. Emptiness. Brokenness. Don Hewitt, who is the executive producer of 60 Minutes for a very long time, retired from this legendary television program. And at 81 years of age, one would think that Hewitt would have been completely content to bask in the glow of multiple Emmy Awards and memories of encounters with celebrities, presidents, and kings, the like. But by Hewitt's own admission, he still felt empty at 81 years of age. King Solomon, how about that one? King Solomon from the biblical text. King Solomon lived life under the sun to its fullest extent. He had everything. He went anywhere. He did anything that he wanted to do. In Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 2, 11, we see that he was, I put that on the front of your notes page for you. We see that he was looking for purpose in life. And he had tried everything under the sun, but nothing would satisfy his emptiness. Nothing would put together his brokenness. He poured himself into science, into philosophy, into humor, into drinking, into architecture. He even poured himself into gardening. How about that? Gardening. He enjoyed his wealth, his music, his physical pleasure, and the list could go on and on of Solomon's pursuits. But he discovered that neither wisdom, nor work, nor wine, nor women, nor wealth could satisfy the emptiness that he was feeling inside that gnawed and nagged at him. He found himself saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is meaningless. And how many of us have felt the exact same way at some point in our lives? How many of us have felt empty and broken and we, just like Solomon, and we, like so many others, have tried everything under the sun to try to fill the emptiness and heal the brokenness? We try new love and we try new sex and we try new drugs and we try new people and we try new things and we try new activities that we think might just fill the emptiness and heal the brokenness that gnaws and nags at our insides. 
Blaise Pascal was a very smart man. And he wrote about trying to fill the emptiness and heal our brokenness all the way back in the year 1659. This is not a problem that is common just to us. It is universal. It transcends time and space. And here's what Pascal said about this emptiness and this brokenness and our attempt to fill it. Check this out. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness? of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries to fill in vain with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only, only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. And the reason that Heath Ledger and Tom Brady and Don Hewitt and even King Solomon and you and I cannot fill this infinite abyss, cannot fill this hole in our souls with the pursuits of life is because it can only be filled with an infinite, the infinite and immutable one, capital O, one. In other words, by God himself. Some have called it the God-shaped hole in our soul. The God-shaped vacuum in our soul cannot be filled by anything but God. God is made to occupy that space. Our soul is made for God to occupy that space. But man, we try, don't we? We try so incredibly hard to cram other things into the hole that exists in our soul. We, we try all sorts of things that lead to addictions, don't we? Drugs and alcohol pornography even, and we think, well, just a little bit more of that and I will be filled and satisfied and happy. Uh, uh, By the way, we can even become addicted to good things, can't we? We could become addicted to something even as good as serving. We could attempt to have our needs met by serving people. It will not fill you up. And we try to cram it into the space that is made for God to occupy, and, and here's what happens. It it just doesn't fit, does it? And it leaves us broken, and it leaves us torn, and it leaves us shattered, and it leaves us in a place where I have to put this back together now. (laughs) And so I will do that. I want you to know that I'm getting better at every service at putting this back together. Last night was a real struggle. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good thing I'm not a heart surgeon. There we go. There's a little hole in it, but the idea. Look, it's beating. We try addictions. We try relationships, don't we? We think very often that if we're just in the right relationship with just the right person, that we'll certainly will be filled and we'll be satisfied and we'll be healed and we'll be whole and we'll be happen, uh, happy. But uh, you, you, you know what's coming, right? Again, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill us. And I'm left once again in the place of having to put this back together again. And so I will. Are you timing me? That doesn't look right. I'd summon one of you up here, but it'd be embarrassing, and then you'd never come back, and that'd be... Mm-hmm. There it is. 
Not bad. And then we try this one, don't we? We, we try filling the hole in our soul with sex. We think that that's what will satisfy our nagging longing that will fill our empty place, that will help put the pieces of our soul back together again. And my, uh, my brother-in-law made this little illustration for me, Jim, very kind of him. And uh, I found it very, I'm not sure you'll find it so humorous, but isn't it interesting that the sex one is in the shape of home plate? Accidental, I'm certain. Right? Right? The space that was made for God in our soul, sex doesn't occupy it, sex doesn't fill it, sex doesn't fit into that space. And we try, but we fail. We try, and we're not satisfied. We try, and it doesn't work. And men, I tend to agree with a guy named John Eldridge who makes what I consider to be a brilliant assessment of why we so often turn to sex and relationships to try to fill that infinite abyss that exists in our souls. And it's because, guys, we have something to prove, don't we? That's Eldridge's assessment, that we have something to prove. And so very often we turn to sex and relationships to prove the something that we've got to prove. Starting with the very littlest boys that you know, men are out to prove that they've got what it takes, right? Men have what it takes. That's why your little boys, those of you that have them, will expend great amounts of energy climbing to the very highest points of any piece of furniture that exists in your home. Because they just have to see if they've got what it takes to get up on top of that, to swing from that chandelier, or whatever it might be. Just to see if we've got what it takes. That's why we boys, when we're little, right, if you give us the choice between regular clothes, kind of like these ones, or a superhero costume, we'll strip these off in a second and opt for the superhero costume. Any day, any time, we'll be a superhero Most days when I come home from work, our boys, Preston and Dylan, they're about to turn five uh, this next week, uh, they greet me at the door dressed as a superhero or dressed as Prince Caspian or dressed as some knight of some kind with big, large swords, right? I never know when I come through the door who's going to greet me at the end of my work day. Now, every once in a while, I come home from work and I find my two sons, almost five years old, greeting me as ballerinas. Two twos and all, and uh, that worries me, and that keeps me up at night, and Dana tells me it will pass, and I hope so. But they're wearing the superhero costumes because they're seeking to discover whether or not they've got what it takes. Men, starting at the very earliest age, want to know that they're powerful, that they're dangerous, and that we've got what it takes. And men... Very often for us, if no one has answered the question in the affirmative for us, we turn to stuff like sex and relationships to prove that we've got what it takes. Hey, you don't believe me? Just take a walk through any locker room and you listen to the conversations that men are having with other men about women. 
Walk through any middle school boys locker room, any high school boys locker room, any college men's locker room, any health club men's locker room, and there it is, conversations about the latest sexual conquest and who they've got their eye on next, right? And ladies, you should know, just in case nobody's ever told you this before, that for a whole bunch of men walking around planet Earth these days, you are not a woman to be loved and cherished. Instead, you're merely a sexual victory to be won. A victory that proves to the rest of the world that the guy who bagged you has what it takes. Because that's what men are out to prove, that we've got what it takes. And men, all of this is an attempt to fill, an attempt to fill the infinite abyss in our souls, an attempt to fill the God-shaped hole in our soul through answering the question, do I have what it takes? If I bag her, if I date her, well then, I prove that I've got just what it takes. And women, I think Eldridge gets it right for you as well. Eldridge suggests that so many women turn to sex and relationships to try to fill their infinite abyss in their souls because it is a woman's quest in life to answer the question, get this, am I lovely? That's the quest of a woman's life. Am I discovering whether or not she is lovely? All you have to do is watch a little girl who's stuck inside on a cold winter's day, watch her dress up and watch her play princess and watch her play wedding day and watch her play tea party and watch her play movie star and understand that she's out to answer the question, am I lovely? Now men, this is why flowers are such a big deal to women because flowers absolutely scream out to women, you are lovely, and I delight in you, and I'm thinking of you. Now, men, just in case you missed it, yesterday was Valentine's Day, <laughs> right? And if you somehow neglected your sweetie and you forgot to get her a card or flowers or whatever, I want you to know that the grocery stores immediately following this service will have what I like to call the Savior Bacon Bouquet available in their refrigerated section. And, and you could deliver it to your sweetie and say, well, it's Valentine's Day weekend. Kind of make a weekend out of it, right? Elongate it a bit. That's why flowers are such a big deal to women, because they scream out to them that they are lovely. And you look at all those dress-up games and all those uh, shows, uh, dads of daughters, how many shows do you get invited to? I get invited to a couple of shows a night at our house, right? Dad, come to our latest show, and it's the girls, Jasmine and Bailey, and they're dressed up like princesses, and then the Preston and Dylan are always involved in their nights, and they kill the princesses. Right? I hope that passes as well. And all of that playing princess, all of those productions, all of those shows is an attempt to answer the question, am I lovely? Do you think I'm lovely? And women, women, for you, very often if no one has answered the question in the affirmative for you, a whole bunch turn to sex and relationships to prove that you are lovely. Every girl in the world is looking for that perfect affirmation, for someone to say, I adore you. I love you with a love that extends all the way to the moon and back. I approve of you. I want to shower you with my affection. And if no one told you, ladies, that you are indeed lovely, well, then the world is standing right outside your front door screaming to you that sex is the way that you can get that affirmation. 
that sex is the way that you fill in that infinite abyss in your souls. But women, in case no one's ever told you this before, that is a lie. It is a lie. The sex and relationships method of answering the question, am I lovely, blows up in your face every single time. Because sex will never satisfy your longing to be filled, to be healed. You end up just feeling used and rejected and hated and dirty, a thing among a world of things. And that's because, see, for a whole bunch of guys out there, they weren't really interested in helping you understand that you are indeed incredibly lovely. Instead, they merely tricked you into believing that they think you're lovely so that they could get on with the quest of their lives, which is proving that they've got what it takes. And you were merely the instrument of answering that question, I've got what it takes. And how much untold damage has been wrought upon men and women and boys and girls because no one ever answered those two fundamental questions for them. For men, do I have what it takes? And for women, am I lovely? And because for so many of us nobody has ever answered those questions, we then set out on a course to fill in the infinite abyss in our souls with what we think will certainly satisfy and fill. Sex, relationships, addictive behavior, and so on, but only cause more harm, only cause more pain, more brokenness, more emptiness. But it ought not be that way. It ought not be that way. For you see, those two questions, for men, do I have what it takes? And for women, am I lovely? They were designed by God himself to be answered by our earthly fathers, our dads. That's God's design, that our dads would answer those questions for us. And dads of sons, our sons are screaming out to us every day in a million and one ways the question, Dad, do I have what it takes? and they wait for us to answer the question. Do I have what it takes? Dad, am I good enough? Dad, am I strong enough? Dad, am I powerful enough? Dad, do I have it? And dads, if we're distant, or if we're detached, or if we're preoccupied, or if we're too busy, we'll miss answering the question. And our sons don't just ask it one time. They're asking it every day in a million and one ways. And if we miss answering the questions for our son, that question for our sons, they won't just say, oh, I guess I don't have what it takes, huh? Instead, they will set out on a course toward answering the question, do I have what it takes? And the course that they launch out on will leave them no closer to the answer and will leave them instead with a trail of pain and regret and deeper emptiness and further brokenness. Dads, we must we must communicate to our sons that they do indeed have what it takes, that they are strong, that they are powerful, that they do have it. And dads of daughters, the same thing's true of us. Our daughters, every single day, are dying to hear from us that they are incredibly lovely. That they are incredibly lovely. And dads, just like with our sons, if we miss answering our daughter's question, know this, that there are plenty of young men right out our front doors who have one thing on their minds, and that is proving that they have what it takes, who will gladly answer our little girl's question in our place, and not at all in the way that we would wish it to be answered. 
Research tells us that sexual promiscuity amongst teenage girls is almost 100% related to absentee fathers. And I'm not just talking about physically absent fathers, but more emotionally absent fathers. We cannot, dads, tell our daughters enough how lovely they are, that they are beautiful, that they are worthy, that they are delightful, because see, every time we do, every time we communicate those truths to them, they understand more and more and more that they don't need to look anywhere else to have that question answered. And parents of children at Journey Church, around this place, around this community called Journey Church. We are doing everything in our power to create a culture that assists you in communicating to your children, our children, your sons and daughters, our sons and daughters, that they have what it takes and that they are lovely. Which is why what goes on right now and every single other weekend of the year back in base camp, which is your kids' ministry, is so incredibly important. Right now, as we sit in this room, there are people who you might not even know who are coming alongside of you and your family, and they are doing everything in their power to communicate to your children that they are lovely and that they do have what it takes, and they're using the Bible to do that. It's fantastic what goes on back there. Please do not ever call what goes on at base camp on the weekends child care. Please do not ever call it child care. It is the furthest thing from child care. Right now, your kids, my kids, are being loved and taught and shepherded and discipled in what following Jesus looks like and how that gets lived out day by day by day. Now get this. We can have all of that vision as a community called Journey Church, but if all of us as a community are not committed to bringing that about, it ain't gonna happen. It just isn't going to happen, which is why I'm going to ask you right now to take that green sheet that was on your chairs when you came in, pull it out right now, if you would, please. And I'm going to ask you, not in a hard sell way, but in an invitational way, to step up and step in and serve toward helping to answer that, those questions that the children of Journey Church are asking, do I have what it takes and am I lovely? And I want you to know that we absolutely need women to serve back in our kids' department. We do. But I'm compelled in a special way to challenge you men today, you dads especially, to lead the way toward our kids' ministry at Journey Church, fulfilling its full redemptive potential by stepping up and serving on the weekends. I don't believe at all for one second that our kids' ministry is just a place that women serve the children. I don't think that at all. I think dads and men, we have significant responsibility in that very same way. And I'm going to ask you to step up and let us know on that green sheet that you will serve on the weekends around here. Now, I'm not asking you for every weekend. I'm asking you for maybe a couple a month, one service a couple times a month, for the purpose of helping the people who are sitting around you right now with the discipleship of their kids, with the answering of those two questions, do I have what it takes for the boys and am I lovely for the girls? And ladies, don't just bag the invitation because I'm talking more to men. You're welcome. Please step in and step up. It's just the invitation is especially for men today. And please do not just throw that piece of paper out as like, oh, here's the church asking me to serve again. Take it very seriously, please. 
Take it very seriously. Fill that out and drop it in the offering bag when it goes by in a little bit or hand it to an usher on the way out, please. There's not a more important thing we could do as a church, believe me. And we're gonna wrap up with this. If you've got a text with you, open it to John chapter four. I know your notes page says First John four, but uh, I changed it up and we're gonna go to John four and it isn't even gonna be on the screens. So if you've got a Bible, you might wanna turn there. John chapter four. Lots of you know the story of John four. Jesus swings by a water well because, well, he's thirsty. He was tired, and he was hot, and he was on a very long walk. And while Jesus was at this particular water well, a woman approaches the well. Uh, why? Yeah, she was thirsty. She needed some water as well. You are brilliant. Now, it would have been much more customary for this woman to go to that well in the morning or perhaps in the evening, but in her case, she goes in the middle of the day, high noon. And she likely did that to avoid running into people who knew her who knew her story, and so on. And Jesus saunters up to the well, and he takes a seat, and this woman approaches, and Jesus asks her for a drink of water. And she was stunned, taken aback. And she was stunned because, well, Jews and Samaritans, they hated, and hate's a strong word, but they hated each other. They refused to even speak to each other. That's how much they hated each other. And, well, Jesus was a Jew, and this woman was a Samaritan. And so G uh, the woman presses in with Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 9. And here's what the Bible says. The woman was surprised at Jesus' conversation with her or request of her. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink. And well, Jesus answers her question. Look at verse 10 if you've got a text. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. He takes it away from the physical water that is in that well and he's talking about something complete, kind of twists it up on her, right? And when Jesus talks about this living water thing, this woman proceeds then to argue with Jesus about the fact that he doesn't even have a cup. You don't even have a cup. What are you going to drink out of? And, and Jesus, he's not persuaded. And he says to her in verses 13 and 14, anyone who drinks this water pointing to the well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And the woman's story begins to unfold, doesn't it? And it comes out that this woman has been with many men. She was using the sex and relationship method to try to fill the infinite abyss the hole in her soul, and she had discovered that it wasn't working so well. Jesus is real frank and candid and acknowledges that the guy that the woman was shacked up with at the moment isn't even her husband. It begins to come out that this woman has tried it all to fill that infinite abyss that is her soul. And Jesus knows this woman's immense thirst. Jesus knows this woman's immense hunger. Jesus knows this woman's emptiness and brokenness, and he sees and he knows how she's been attempting to fill it, attempting to satisfy it, attempting to heal it, but nothing is working. A few minutes ago, I told you that dads are the ones who have to answer our sons and daughters' questions. Do I have what it takes, and am I lovely? 
which is absolutely true. But get this, Jesus Christ is the only one who can fill the infinite abyss, who can fill the hole in our soul and heal us of our brokenness. He is it. Sex will not accomplish it. Relationships will not accomplish it. Addictive behavior will not accomplish it. Good things even like serving will not accomplish it. Because you see, Jesus is the source, our source of filling and of healing and of satisfaction. And if we hope to be filled, if we hope to be healed, if we hope to be satisfied, we must drink deep of Jesus Christ in order to be full and well healed. Jesus comes up alongside the Samaritan woman at that well that day, and he says, sweetie, just put it down. Just stop trying to fill the hole in your soul with sex and relationships and men. Just put it down. Just stop. It's not working, is it? Just put it down. And to us today, many of us who are trying the exact same thing as the Samaritan woman at the well to try to fill the empty place in our soul, Jesus is saying, just put it down, would you? Just put it down. Stop trying to fill your infinite abyss with sex and relationships and whatever else we're trying to cram into that void. Jesus is saying to you and to me and to us today, all you need is me. That's it. All you need is me. You need a love that doesn't run dry. You need a love that doesn't run out. You need a living water that will truly fill you up, that will truly satisfy. It is what you were made for. It is Jesus Christ that fills in the hole in our soul. And only Jesus Christ. This is terrible. <laughs> it's only Jesus. Nothing else will fill it. Nothing else will satisfy it. Nothing else will meet the deepest longing of your soul. It's Jesus Christ alone. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would and go to prayer. Just invite you to speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart and your mind. You can do that now. Do me the service of keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed for the next few moments. Maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long, long time. Or maybe even a short amount of time. But you're someone who has been desperately trying to fill that infinite abyss of your soul through sex and relationships and myriad of other means. The challenge to you today is to just put it down. 
The very same challenge Jesus made to the woman at the well a couple of thousand years ago. Just put it down. Jesus is saying to you today, let me be enough. Trust me to be enough. To fill you, to heal you, to satisfy you. Let me be enough. And I just invite you to do whatever business you need to do with God today around that. Whatever it is that you've been trying to fill the hole in your soul with, just put it down. It might mean for you that there might be a gnarly breakup around the corner because you know that you've just been trying to use this relationship to fill yourself up, heal yourself up, but it's not working. It might mean for you that you need to draw a line in the sand in a sexual relationship you're in. You might need to say to your significant other, look, this isn't working. I thought this sex deal was going to be something else, and it's not, and we've got to draw a line. And so I challenge you, and I invite you to do whatever business you need to do with God around that. And then for those of you who are here today who have not ever stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the truth is that only Jesus will fulfill your deepest longings, only Jesus will fill you and satisfy you. And it's because of God's incredible love that makes that even possible, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die for you so that you could live in relationship with him, healed and filled, new, and God wants you to know today that he invites every single person on planet earth to receive the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you will not ever be the same. You are forgiven and you are adopted and you are filled and you are healed and you are privileged to spend eternity with God. And maybe you're here today in that truth that God loves you that much that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross. Maybe that hit home with you for the first time today and you want to receive that gift. If that's you, you can move into a relationship with God by praying a prayer right along with me right now, right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. But today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. God, today, with everything in me, I declare to you that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. Jesus, please heal me and fill me and make me new and clean me up. Please, God. And that decision right there to give your life to Jesus Christ is the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. Nothing carries more weight. And around here, it's such a big deal that we ask people to tell us when they made that decision. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Nobody's looking around this room but me. Nobody's going to embarrass you in any way. If you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, yes, 
I stepped into a relationship with God today through His Son, Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. Just make sure I catch your eye, if you would, please. I don't want to miss you. God, we're overwhelmed by your love for us. The fact that you designed us to be filled by you and only you, that you designed us to be healed by you and only you is astounding to us. The fact that you care that deeply for us, it's mind-boggling. And God, I pray for us in this room who have difficult decisions to make related to some things that we need to put down. I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness, the faith to step out and do what you're asking us to do. God, we want our lives to please you. We want our worlds to be ordered around you. That's why we're willing to make difficult decisions and pay a price for following you because of all you've done for us, God. Our lives are yours, they're worship, they're an offering to you, and it's all for you and about you and because of you, God. We pray all of this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.